theyeshiva.net. One twenty-three. In the middle of the page, the line starts. Kamaimer Reb Chanina ben Doisa, Misha Amar Lashemen Viad Lichulim. How much in the middle of the page? The next line: Vezel Inyan Atfila. Yes. How Nachem Ishgamzu did it? No, this question is if it's good. Why do you need a stamina? That was his question. No, that was your question. I thought your question was how to do Hishtamas. That's a good question. Both are good questions. You're asking if it's so good, who needs to change it, right? What do you have to change it? It's so good. It's a great question, and the question really should be stronger. Why would somebody who really accepts this and embraces this the whole davening should be changed. Oh, it's wonderful. And if it's not wonderful, it's even more wonderful. And if it's really bad, it means it's like, wow! Come on, bring it on more. What's the issue? So how does it match with the other Right. Exactly. I am healthy. Okay, oich. <laughs> You're telling me it's toiv ma'oid. Toiv ma'oid, great. What do you want to change toiv ma'oid? Unless you don't really believe it. You don't think so. So you say, do me a favor, get rid of the bad, give me good. Right, that's the shayla. So if somebody doesn't take it seriously, okay. You could say for a person who doesn't believe it, or doesn't see it this way, or can't relate to it, say, listen, maybe it's true, maybe it's not true. I'm not interested in it. I don't need ma'oid. Right? Like some mothers would say, do me a favor, don't give me children who are too smart, too brilliant, too talented. Give me simple kids. Not too talented, not too creative. Just give me simple. You can understand. But uh, the Balatanya himself also davened in Nusachat Fillah. <laughs> he davened in Nusachat he, he wrote a Siddur. From 16 Nusachat he wrote a Siddur. <laughs> same Siddur, the same Shemin Asra. How do you justify, how do you explain it? That's a wonderful question. So the question will become very clear as we continue. I just want to bring out, I didn't understand that was your question. And then there's a second question about Ishtamas. Yes, we'll see. He's gonna. It's gonna all be bavar. It's all be. I think it'll all be clarified. He now comes back to the theme in the beginning of the Maimah with tefillah. Vizel The Balatanya began. And said that we have to be choike Yeridus Anashama by Lamhaza, that the main tachlis of the Yeridus Anashama was Dvekas, to connect with its creator, Ba'avavir, and the main Dvekas is in Davening. That's the main moment when the Neshama cleaves to its creator. Certainly before birth and after death, there is much deeper connection. You can't compare the Dvekas then, Dvekas in the body, because the whole love and awe that the Neshama experiences before birth or after death is far deeper 
than the Ave and Yiri that the Neshama can experience in the body, because the body ultimately remains a shell that conceals the true soul, and it doesn't really always allow Avedis Hashem. Not only that, it schleps the Neshama down to enjoy materialistic pursuits, which are completely irrelevant to the soul. But since you're living in the body, you basically have no choice. The body tells the soul, this is it, we're going to enjoy ourselves, we're going to live it up. The body says, here is a good meal and all your problems will go away. And the soul is forced to indulge in it because the body is tempted by it. And then the soul just goes back to its old void afterwards. But that's this journey of the soul. So if somebody is not aware of their soul, it's not an issue. They may feel the pain on an unconscious level. They may feel the pain but not know why they're feeling it. People feel a certain emptiness in life, but they don't know how to identify what it is, where it's coming from, and most importantly, how to resolve it. But there is always that inner voice of the soul. It's a called mama daka. It's a silent inner voice of the neshama that a person has. And let's understand that even within religious circles, this void continues, because religion is not always associated with uh, spirituality or with godliness person could do religious things but they don't have any relationship with it on the contrary the more they do it the more they may be alienated from it so even though there's tremendous value in just the maisa but nonetheless the soul sometimes is still starving so that means that the neshama in this world goes through a very heavy journey and it could never see what it sees before it comes into the body or after it leaves the body it's a whole different experience in fact, we don't even have Isis for it. The Rambam writes in his commentary to Mishnayis about Olam Haba, about Ganeidin. He says, describing Ganeidin is like describing to a person who was born blind, different colors. It's not Pshat, you don't have the Isis. Explain it better. It's even hard for us to understand the Marshall. person simply red, blue, green. Somebody who was saw and then became blind, you know what it is. But somebody who never saw it, the concept doesn't exist. We don't even appreciate the concept because all of our vision in life, our sensitivity in life, is always channeled through the prism of the body. But the truth is the moment the neshama leaves the body or before the neshama comes into the body, everything is different. It's like from one extreme to another extreme to a point that it's incomprehensible for the person. What the neshama experiences and sees the moment after it passes. Nothing is blocked. Nothing is eclipsed. The whole world is one. And Gashmiz doesn't block the Ruchnes. So he says you can't compare the Dvekas of the Neshama before or after the Dvekas that the Neshama is capable in the Guf. But here is where it comes, the, the, here is where the point comes that the Zohar says that the Tachlis of the Neshama down here is to transform Miriru Lemiska, bitterness into sweetness, darkness into light. The whole person was created for this. And he started to say, that means that our dveikas here and our tefillah here has to do with transformation. And that doesn't exist before the neshama is born or after its passing. And then he begins the whole process that in Bayis Rishon there was Bechal no davene. And in Bayis Sheni there was a short davene. Today is a longer davene. And from this he went into the subject that all dinim are sweetened in the shayrish. And he went off to the whole concept that we've been discussing the last few days of toiv zamalach achayim and toiv moed zamalach amava. So now he comes back to tefillah. Now we come back to the concept of tefillah, which exists when the soul is in the body in this world. 
שהנשמה בתוך הגוף סובל לסטודס ויסורים. The soul within the body experiences, endures tzaras, challenges, and yisurim pain. Not because of the various pains a person has in life, that's something else. But here he's talking about existence is painful. Why? The neshama has one craving, one yearning, one mission, nothing else. It wants to have dveikas in its creator. It wants to have intimacy with its creator. That's what its agenda is. It has no other agenda besides wanting to be one with one. It doesn't. It's not interested in anything else. That's what it is. It is a chelik alekami mal, and it wants to be part of a alekami mal. It doesn't only want to be a chelik separated. It wants to be completely one, complete vacus. That is its yearning, like a lover who loves somebody, and all he or she could think about is the Rambam says this in Hilchas Truva Perikyut. Somebody, he says, has this vision about somebody that they love. And when the Ramam says, All day and all night, he or she thinks about nothing else but this relationship. Now sometimes it's not exactly a healthy situation. A person is infatuated by some type of crush because they have a void. But the Ramam just gives a marshal to understand when somebody really, really loves somebody without hesachadas. You can't even take your mind away from it. It's 24-7 non-stop, and you don't sober up from it because it's real. In this case, it's real. This is what the Neshama wants. It wants one thing. It wants Dveikas and Hashem. That's what it wants. It wants to be completely one. That's what the Neshama wants. However, Haguf the body has a completely different perspective. The Guf doesn't allow it. What says the Guf doesn't allow it? The Guf doesn't even know about it. Like, the Guf doesn't even understand the language. So it's two people communicating. They're married to each other. They live together their whole life. And it's not like in a marriage where you could separate. You can go away from the house a few hours and go pursue your dreams. Pursue your dreams. Here the neshama and the guf are always one. You can't have a soul without a body. You can't have a body without a soul. They're not just married to each other. They're completely integrated for life. And it's completely two different perspectives. The guf doesn't even know what the neshama is talking about. The neshama doesn't know what the guf is talking about. Ah. The neshama. So the neshama, he says, existence for the soul is a very painful reality. And if a person can't identify this pain, ultimately they can't find meaning in any other pain. All other pains in life pale in comparison to this. This pain is at the core of existence. This is not because I'm having a problem with this. Those are all details. Every person has problems. Every person has challenges. Every person has nisyonas. No life is perfect. But this is at the core. This is even the greatest, most blessed life, which everybody should have. This tension that exists in existence, nobody can transcend. Nobody can make believe it doesn't exist. There is a marriage of a paradox in every person. And that paradox drives us crazy. We repress it. Some people repress it with television. Some people repress it with shopping. Some people repress it with barbecues. Some people repress it with iPhones, with a lot of coffee, or with other stuff, more benign or less benign, more destructive or less destructive. But if you're opened up to it without any distractions, existence by definition is painful. What is the pain? The first pain is not because of anybody doing anything bad to you. That's stage two. It's the fact that you have two opposite realities that are brought together for life. 
and they do everything together. They shower together, they eat together, they sleep together, they hike together, they go to work together, they daven together, they learn together, they think together. No one is on their own. So they're not together, there's no more life. Right. A soul without a body is not a life, and a body without a soul is uh, lifeless. Before birth they weren't together, after death they won't be together. But for this journey, they're together, and they're completely different. The body is physical, and it knows about physicality. The soul, essentially, is a piece of God. It's a chelik alakamima. So the soul sees the world from divine perspective. The soul sees the world like Hashem sees the world. The soul experiences life from a divine perspective, and that's what it yearns. It yearns to be one with its true self, with its true identity. And the goof is like, what are you talking about? Who decided all of this? And the soul starts doubting itself. Right? So the soul says, you know what, let me try. At least we think the soul is doubting itself. It's not really doubting itself. So the body says, let's try this, let's try this. And the soul says, okay, let's try. They try and try and try and try and try. And 30 years later, 40 years later, 50 years later, the void still persists. It's a very deep void. That's the Tsaris he's talking about it. Everything else is a later stage. People go through this, people go through that. But this is not what you go through. This is existence itself. Existence itself has a very powerful, painful component to it. The The human condition. Inherent in the human condition. And if a person doesn't acknowledge this, they won't be able to get anywhere. Because they'll always be dealing with symptoms. It's like you have this symptom, that symptom. So you... Right? In camp, we had a nurse. In the camp I went to, we had a nurse. So for everything, she had the same troop. It was called a lassinger. Everything was a lassinger. I'm having a heart attack. Take a lassinger. I have a migraine headache. Everything. An infection on the foot. Everything was a candy. Okay? But even if somebody can deal with symptoms, if they don't deal with core issues, they're not going to be dealing with anything. So a person deals with this and takes care of that and takes care of that. It's all good. But if I don't address the core issue that my soul is crying, my soul is yearning, my soul is not being nurtured, ultimately I won't be able to deal with anything. But for this, you have to know what your soul is. You have to be able to listen to it. You have to be able to identify it. And nobody can do this for you. And this is very, very internal. It's very, very authentic. It's not about the community. It's not even about family. It's not about social pressure. It's really if your own neshama is home. If your own soul is home with itself, or it's in gullus, or it's in exile. Why is it painful? Why is it painful for the soul not to be who it is? Um, I think it would be compared to a... uh, You'll take a person, right? And uh, take a... I'll give you an example. The world has different levels of, of, of creation. You have doimim, you have tzemeach, you have chayin, you have medaber. For everyone, self-expression means something else completely. Come to a, uh, come to a, uh, a tree or a bush or a plant and ask the tree, tell the tree or the bush or the plant or the flower, I want you to express yourself. I want you to be free. Okay? So basically here you're never attached to the earth. One place, it's so boring. I'm going to free you, I'll cut you, and then you'll be able to roam the world, be able to travel the world, you get on an airplane, you travel to Berlin, you travel to Moscow, to Sydney, to Tel Aviv, right? 
and the tree says thank you very much but no thank you now take an animal take a wonderful horse or a cow or a bull or a sheep or a goat and you see you see that tree I'm going to give you everything that that tree has I'm going to tie you down to the earth and I'll pour water in you and I'll give you sunlight <coughs> the greatest torture for an animal <coughs> what is life for the tree is death for the animal but you give the animal a farm a field yeah the goat he goes from this stack of hay to this stack of hay to this pile of grass to this pile of grass sits down here walks there there's a guy here on Spook Rock he has a farm so I go there sometimes with my kids so he has three goats with uh, birds with chickens galore with rabbits (coughs) ducks turkeys different types of animals and I say, no, how are they doing? He says, it's paradise for them. My wife loves them. They walk around, they graze, they're free, nobody bothers them. I'm a chaya. Yeah? Now take a person and say, I'm going to take care of you just like I take care of this horse. And you put the person in a, what they call it, a corral. A corral, right? Fenced around. And you put grass. And he could walk around there a whole day. It's a death sentence for the person. It's a prison. That's what a prison is. They did this to people. Isn't that what some sects do to their, 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 their communities? <laughs> 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 the person is screaming, kill me. Katsti b'chai. What did Rifka say? Katsti b'chai. I don't want such a life. Why? Okay, you don't want... I'll make you like a tree. We'll tie you up to the ground. We'll tie you up to the earth. The answer is, if you're a tree, you're right. For a tree, the greatest form of life is that it remains in one spot for 3,000 years. You have trees that are around for thousands of years. That's its greatest life. That's its greatest form of self-expression. It grows tall, it's beautiful, it's blended, and it's connected to its roots. You do that to an animal, it's torture. But you give an animal the freedom to roam, the freedom to eat, you're not torturing it, you're not repressing it, you're not crushing it. You take a person and you say, I'm going to treat you the same way. It's the worst punishment you can do to a person. For a day it's nice. Yeah? For three days it's nice. For a week it's nice. Afterwards, you want to kill yourself. Why? Because a human being has certain qualities and characteristics that need self-expression. Whatever those qualities may be, but they're human. Relationships with people, wisdom, right? Work, connections, and so forth. Attachments. Creation. Creation, productivity, various talents. And that itself, every person is different. So what is free, and then you have doimim, you have a rock. Yeah, that's wonderful. Leave it alone, I'm a chaya. You have a lake, you have a beach, you have earth. What is free for the doimim is not freedom for the tzemeach. What is freedom for the tzemeach is the opposite of what's free for the chai. You cut him off and you want him to roam, he's dead. You tie up the chai, he's dead. And what is free for the chai is not free for the medaber. Freedom is not what you do, it's what you don't do. It's how much your life expresses who you are. Now taking a human being himself, you could take a human being, right? 
and let him eat and let him drink and let him roam and let him produce. But you don't nurture the divine in the human being. The neshama in the human being. That's a horrible form of pain. That's a horrible form of distress. And the, the fact that the person is conscious of what's going on or not, that doesn't make it less painful. A person may not be aware, which only makes it less more painful, because the person is not even in touch with it. That's what he's saying. Not because anybody abused you. Because this is the story of the human condition. It's the story of existence. If it's such a paradox, the uh, from the gift, then why if the gift is at home and not a neshama, then he has such a void? Excellent gives. question. And finish. And the neshama is at home and not the gift. Why is this is Agitashaila. He says it's not fear. What's the solution to this tension? Why is it always in one way, one direction? Yeah, why is it that if the Neshama wins, there will be Menuchas Nefesh? And if the Guf wins, there won't be Menuchas Nefesh? If the Neshama is happy, the Guf should be forever frustrated. Just like if the Guf is happy, the Neshama should forever be frustrated. But the Neshama is the, the, the source. Yeah. Oh, because the Guf, that's the whole point of this Maimah. The Guf is really. The goof is not really an enemy of the neshama. The goof's healing comes when you align it with the soul. It can't happen the other way. Menuchas hanefesh can't happen if the neshama becomes like the goof. But if the goof is aligned with the neshama, there'll be menuchas hanefesh because that's the truth of the goof. I'll give you an example. Huh? There's no paradox. There's no real paradox. There is. We first have to acknowledge that there is. If you right away go that there's no, then there will be. You know what I mean? It's like a married couple that says, there's no differences between us. It's perfect. Then it's going to be bad. Because it's going to emerge, right? But not consciously, and it's going to take you over. You first have to acknowledge the problem in order to realize that there's no problem. This is a mistake that a lot of people make in their own life. They don't want to deal with the fact that there's a challenge to deal with because it's sepasnished. Oh, I don't care about these things. I'm not a two-year-old baby. You are a two-year-old baby. If you can acknowledge that you're a two-year-old baby, then you won't be a two-year-old. If you can't acknowledge it, you will actually be a two-year-old. You understand what I'm saying? If there's no paradox, there's going to be a paradox. If there's a paradox, then there can be no paradox. So let's say a person has a dog, right? And he's walking his dog. So Kedar come, the dog jumps into a beautiful garbage uh, garbage dump, a garbage can. Because there's excellent food, leftovers from the Bar Mitzvah. Everything from the Shmugas board was there. And he's uh, sucking on the bone. And the master says, Come, 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 come! Such a Shmugas board... Not every day you have such food in the garbage can. Come, come! And he's screaming at the dog. He wants to be with his dog. So what is the solution? Is the solution that he should also go into the garbage can and stay there and eat together with the dog and he'll be together with the dog. That's not what he does. He summons the dog until he gets the dog to come. Sometimes begrudgingly, he has no choice, or willingly. You understand? The neshama is never going to go into the garbage dump. It just won't. He can't. He's a prince. He's a piece of God. He can't be not divine. 
So what's the solution for the tension in life? It's never the neshama following the body. It's never going to help. Because the soul will never go that way. But the other way, the guf will follow the soul. Maybe initially begrudgingly, and then willingly, and then eagerly. That depends which state you are. Begrudgingly, willingly, or eagerly. But that's the only solution. The solution for peace in the house is not that the master goes wherever the dog goes. It's that the dog follows the master. And when the master doesn't teach the dog who's the boss, oy va avoy, it's not good. The neshama does go there, because otherwise, who gives you the energy to go That's true. But I mean, ultimately, the source of menuchas, yes, settle. The source of menuchas hanefesh, to get rid of the tension, is only in a controlled life. When there's agbaras hatsura ala chaymer. When the chaymer is aligned with the tsura, not when the tsura surrenders to the chaymer. That's not going to work. It's been tried for thousands of years. People try it. People try it all the time. They say, let the physical rule, and that's it. I'm not going to tell you that there's no happy people. I don't know that. Uh, I don't know how to. What, what do we happy people? I mean, there's a lot of distractions in life. Baruch Hashem, there are TVs that have 800 channels. There's more than that. Okay, I didn't know. Right. There's also fun. You can have fun. You can have a lot of distractions. But then there's an element of fulfillment of 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 of, of, of meaning. You can't replicate. You can't fake it. You could fake it, but it's not going to help. It's not. Uh, a goy doesn't have it as strong as a yid. You said this year. A goy says everything is perfect. Yeah. Every person has an ashama and a goof, but it depends what type of soul, what type of body. Yeah. Yeah. Jews have this in a much more acute fashion because of the nature of their neshama. So they need much more of this meaning of this transcendence in order to be able to survive. You can't not be in touch with your neshama at all because it's there. But sometimes it's repressed. You don't know what it is. But once in a while the person will suddenly start crying. Or the person will suddenly experience a moment of awe. Or a moment of reverence. Or a moment of meaning. These are very, very deep internal and personal experiences. Ah, or the opposite, depression. Yeah, and sometimes addiction is completely that. It's the pain is so profound the person has to numb it. They just can't live with themselves. Why can't they live with themselves? They can't stand in the world, look in the mirror, and just live with what is. They can't. The void is so powerful. Why is it so powerful? Just eat, sleep, and get a job. What's the problem? The problem is that they usually have a deep soul. And if the soul is not being nurtured, it's not getting oxygen, it goes crazy. It's like a person doesn't eat for a day, two days, three days, four days, you get very grouchy, and you get into a very bad mood. What happens when you don't feed the soul? It also gets very grouchy. It gets into a very bad mood. <coughs> it's a different type of bad mood. You know, you don't eat, you get into a bad mood after a while. So a day, fine, two days, four days, seven days, even if you're drinking... And you're surviving. You you plots, you you explode, you implode, yeah, you lose it very right away. You lose it. You know when men come home at night and they're hungry? I always tell them go to a restaurant before you come home. Your wife's dinner will be seconds. And that way if she didn't make dinner it'll be fine. 
Because you ate already. They lose it. They just snap. People snap. So when the neshama is very hungry, it snaps in its own way. The more a person is sensitive, the deeper the soul they have, the more it needs. The more it needs transcendence, the more it yearns for it when it doesn't have it. The more it's deprived, the more tsaris and yesudim it has. It has to be fed. It needs... It needs. I want to give an example, if you remember. Imagine Mozart would have grown up in a home without a piano. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a genius. A genius of music. Thank God he grew up in a home with a piano. He would have grown up in a home without a piano. The genius would have been there. The creativity would have been there. The energy would have been there, but there was no outlet for it. So what would happen? Tremendous frustration. Breaking windows would be the good thing. You have it with a lot of kids. You have it with a lot of young people. They're little Mozarts in their own way. But nobody gives them a piano. So there's a tremendous, tremendous pain or anxiety, and it needs an outlet. It needs to come out. It comes out in all different types of ways. Fascinating ways. The Gemara says, Al don't touch my Mashiachs. These are little kids. Every little kid, especially every little Jewish kid, yeah, is like a little Mashiach in his own mind. He feels like he could change the world. He wants to change the world, especially if you have a Jewish mother. So either you are Mashiach or you're going to bring Mashiach, but you're not a small person. And then as we grow up, we're told to calm down, you know, just live a life of quiet desperation and just be quiet. You know, go to yeshiva, let's not hear from you for a few years. Let's marry you off and just become an accountant or whatever it is. Or uh, do this, do that. Now, nothing wrong. That's a wonderful thing. It's better than some other stuff people do. But very often we're told just do, 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 stay. Follow the system. That's the main thing. Don't stick out. Don't stick out. So for some people it works wonders. For other people, yeah, their neshamas are raging. So there's different outlets. They don't have a piano, there's different outlets. So you have to understand what a soul is. You can't destroy people's inner Mashiachs. can't do that. Some of us are good at it. Are good at it. You know, we become very cynical. We become cynical, but the soul is very powerful. It needs its outlet. So a person has to identify it and tune into it. Does, does the most not necessarily know that it's connected to God? On some level, the soul knows that it's connected, but how conscious that is in our conscious body, that's a question of each individual. So there is that connection that's always there. It can't not be connected. That's what it is. It's a chelikalakamimal. But how aware I am of it is a whole different experience. I may not be aware of it. Somebody once said, right, by Jewish mothers, if you have a good kid, a doctor. A slow kid, a lawyer. If he's really underdeveloped, an accountant. Mamish Amashugana, a rabbi. But there's no, uh, there's no, no, that's it. You got to produce. You got to produce. Now that's all good stuff. But the most important thing is to feed the soul. First, you got to feed the soul. So he says, This is fascinating. The, the, the neshama in the guf is mamash like a galus hashchina. 
It's like the Shekhinah itself has to give life to everything. That's what God wants. He gives life to everything. So you have a Rasha, somebody who's not exactly the most righteous person, and everything in his life is being used against goodness, and the Chiyos to do that comes from goodness. So the Shekhinah is giving life to that, which its whole identity opposes the Shekhinah. And that itself comes from the Shekhinah. That's what Gullus means. Exile means, when you're in exile, what does it mean? When a person is in exile, they can't do what they want to do. In fact, they're often forced to do work for the enemy against their own will. That's what Gullus is. What does it mean Jews are in Gullus? It's not just geographical. It's emotional, it's spiritual. Even in Eretz Yisrael, they say, Mipnei chata'enu, galinu me'aretzenu, and musaf, of Yom Tif. Why? You're not geographically exiled, you're existentially exiled. Exiled means when you don't know who you are, and you're living a life that is alien to your true self, it's maybe serving your enemy, using your talents, resources, and koiches to serve that which is against you. That's very, very sad. You're, uh, it's exhausting, yeah. Mamish, a person is in prison or in exile. They're working hard from six, a whole day they're working. But all their work is not to express themselves with their true desires or yearnings or dreams. It's to work for their enemy and maybe to work for things that are completely against their own agenda, their own perspective. What happens? The person is stripped of his dignity. The person is stripped of his chiyos, of his energy. So galus ha means the shechina is giving chiyos to the rasha because without the shechina it can't live and that energy is being used against it. That's a state of exile. So a person in a state of exile means you're in a place... You're doing stuff, your talents are being expressed, but the purpose is completely not what you really want. We said in the Brachas, yeah. the, 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 the Shina is forced to get you. Yeah. yeah. In other words, obviously, once the system is chosen, Shemuchrachas lahachis gamarishayim, kacha neshama muchrachas lahachis esaguf, the neshama is compelled to give life to the body, so the whole objective of this Yeridus HaNasham is not for the soul itself. The soul's dveikus was much higher before. The whole purpose of the Neshama coming into the body is actually to work with the guf, to elevate it from earth. One has to refine his body you have to treat it like silver in the hand of the silversmith. You ever saw a silversmith in action? He takes the silver with delicacy and he refines it. But it's based on one conviction, that this is a piece of silver, and even if there's a lot of filth and dirt and sediments, what is it called? Uh, what's mixed into silver, huh? There's a word, no, the psoilus in the silver. I guess the impurities are there. As he places the silver, the metal, and the fire, it will be refined. The more the sediments, the impurities are mixed into the silver, one must refine and lelabein. Libun means clean it out with a greater flame, with a more intense, ferocious flame. Why? Because there's more impurity. Less impurity, you don't need such heat, you don't need such intense warmth to refine the silver. 
Warp soilless, you need a greater fire. Kain sonach levarad haguf me'ayet sahara. The same is true, the guf is silver, but it's mixed in with the Yetzirah. And you have to be mevarer, the guf, from the Yetzirah. That's a mixture that is very deep. And bring the guf back to its source. Back to the metaphor of the prince, of the king, of the prince with the zoyna, with the harlot. When the Melech hires the Zaina to entice her son, his son, and at the surface she is all negative. When he goes deeper, he sees that her Shairish is really the Melech. He sent her. He sent her to the boy. He sent her to the prince. In other words, what seems like complete Ra is really just a cover up. It's really just eclipsing its true Shairish. Her real, real mahus is that she's an evid of the Melech. And therefore what she really wants is he should say no to her. That is how he fulfills her desire, much more than if he says yeah, but she can't tell this to him. This is the story of the goof. The goof at the surface, like all physicality, it seems like it's a steerer to the neshama. It undermines the soul. But the emes is that if you take it back to its shayrish, it's really pure toiv. It's really pure godliness. It's not looking for anything else. Even though, at the surface, it's so alien from the soul. The more mixture of You need a more intense fire in davening in order to have the vekas of the neshama and the guf and its creator. This is the vekas of tefillah in our world. It's not the vekas like the neshama has before it's born or after it dies. Over there there's a soul without a body. Here it's this hapchemeridulamiske. Here the vekas is to take the dinim back to the shayrish. Ah, this is a serious avoid. To be able to look at a reality and say, I see you for who you really are. I see you for your true depth. To be able to see all Ra for what it truly is based on its shoydish. The crisis is an opportunity. The breakdown is uh, an opportunity for rebirth. And the same is true, the very struggle that the Neshama has with the guf. To be able to see that if you take the guf back to its source, back to its shoydish, it's completely not evil. It's completely not Ra at all. It's really a divine energy that is manifested in the goof, even though it doesn't express itself that way. So on one hand you say, oh, the goof is always enticing the neshama to do the wrong thing. Absolutely not. Sometimes it looks like the goof is enticing the neshama to do the wrong thing. But really the goof is your greatest ally. Just like the Zaina really wants the Ben Melech to say no. And when he says no, she celebrates. So you have an interesting situation with the body. The body sometimes tells you to do something, that you think the body really wants you to do. But when you do it, the body is disappointed. The body actually is upset. You betrayed the body. When you say no to the body, you said yes to the body. Just like when he said no to the zoina, he gets more of her than when if he says yes. When he says no, he's really capturing her essence. He actually has her. Because she's an evid of the melech. When he says yes to her, she doesn't have her. Sometimes when you say yes to the body, you're betraying it. You're neglecting it. The body is like begging you. 
It has this twinkle in its eye and it says, please, please, don't take me so seriously. I'm just here to bring out your true self. By taking me seriously, you're actually rejecting me, you're betraying me. That's the avoid that sometimes you need a huge fire in order to refine the silver from the impurities and bring out the cleanliness of the silver, and that's the cleanliness of the body, the beauty of the body, to be able to create a holistic life. So this is a very interesting idea. You're following the temptation of the goof, and you're really being disloyal to it. You don't get it. You're falling prey to superficiality. It's not what it really is. In the first base Hamikdash, where the Ra was not so excessive, what do we mean? There was plenty of Ra, but the mixtures weren't so bad. Yeah, Tzadikim, you had Rishoyim. The mixture wasn't so bad. The problem we have is the Taruvas, the mixture, the deception. The Zoyna looks like a Zoyna. They, they didn't have Tfilah then. Everybody daven on their own, you could daven for a minute. There was no Nusach of Tfilah. There was no need for Tfilah with fire. The main Avoidus Hashem in the first Beisamitrish was Karbonus. All their actions was to bring back the Dinim, the Ra. All negativity back to its Shairish. How did they do it? Through Karbonus. Essentially, that's Avoidus HaKarbonus. What is a carbon? You take the beast. And you offer it up to Hashem, it becomes a reich nechayich la Hashem. In the flames of the Mizbeach, they sublimated the entire universe and they allow, line the outer with the inner. All the dinim, all the ra, came back to its shoyrish, it came back to its source. That was the whole avoid of karbonus. They didn't need filibislavus. What That's essentially what a carbon is. Like we learned in the Mayim, Vayikra, Adam, Kiyakriv, Mikem, Karbon, Hashem, Min it's not only a physical carbon. It represents the whole avoda of aligning the dinim with the shayrish. That's what a carbon is. A carbon means bringing back everything to its true source, to its true origin. In Bayisheni, they started to be misakin the tefillah that we have. But it was much shorter. First of all, there was a concept of tefillah tzara, havinenu, and also the davening itself was short. It's commensurate with how much fire they needed, based on how much the negativity, the brokenness was mixed into them. Remember, the more there's impurity in the silver, the greater the fire. And we, the Balatanya says, now he's speaking about us, and we, we need a daven more and more with tremendous fire, with tremendous islavos. Every generation as you go downward, further, needs to daven with tremendous love. Love is a flam fire with passion. Not because achshadari in expression in Gemara and Yavam is because the doir is more kosher. Adirab, on the contrary, because of the brokenness that gets mixed in and increased in every generation, you need to separate it through a tremendous, ferocious, strong fire and davening, to do a boiler, to refine, 
the toy from the ra, ulahavia yel sharshe to bring the ra back to its source, commercial ben amelachim azoina anal. Like the metaphor of the ben amelach with the zoina, sheyachshev. What is the avoid of davening? To think. Hachius shel hara mechayeu. The oxygen of all your ra that's giving life to it. Ech yesh lechius meakadish baruchu. How does it have life from Hashem? Without Hashem, it couldn't live. Nothing lives without vitality, without energy, without oxygen. Everything in your life has divine energy. Hashem is giving it life. That means everything has a divine core. There's nothing outside of the divine. So now you're experiencing your goof. You're experiencing taivas, you're experiencing machshavah zaris, you're experiencing all types of inclinations and addictions and issues and stuff. You could look at it superficially and describe it as evil, as bad, as destructive. But then ask yourself one question. There's no thought, there's no emotion, there's no inclination, there's no craving that is not living from something. Something is feeding it in order to be. A fire burns because there's oxygen. A thought continues because it's being fed. As we spoke earlier, Shiurim, every thought you have is being fed. just doesn't exist. Just like a body survives because you feed it, thoughts survive because you feed it. What is the information that is being fed into you? You'll always see. Every emotion is being fed. It's hard to live this way. It's very introspective to ask, what is it that's feeding my emotion? I'm angry. I, I hate this person. Oh, You don't hate this person. You're experiencing something. You're experiencing something. This person, we we never respond to another person's behavior. We tell ourselves we respond to people's behavior. We respond to our interpretation about their behavior. You're with me? Our experience of their behavior. Varaya, you could tell me one thing, right? Say the same thing to somebody else. Our emotional reactions are completely different. The behavior is the same. We don't respond to behavior. We respond to our interpretation of behavior. Here he goes again. That's interpretation. Here she goes again. 20 years I'm dealing with this. Interpretation. You gave an interpretation of your wife's behavior 20 years ago, and 20 years later you're still on the same toysmas. You're still on the same toysmas. <laughs> you didn't bother. Zalba toysmas. Right? You know those yeshivas? They don't move. 20 years later, I once heard from the Pinchas Hirschbrun, I told you the word, why Yosef, uh, why Yaakov sent Yehuda to make a yeshiva, not Yosef. Because Yosef sent back the Agolas, Rashi says he gave him a simon, that he still remembers the Shia Negla Rufa. So he says, 22 years later, at Hatmach the Zalbis Sugya, Tafamach and Anai Yeshiva. The Zelbe Sugi, 22 years later. We don't respond to the experience. We don't respond to the reality. We respond to our experience of the reality. The experience of the reality is interpretation. What are you experiencing? That doesn't have to do with what she did or said or what you said. It's your experience of it. What is it in you? What is it in you that you say, Oh my God, I can't deal with it anymore. I'm out. I need oxygen. There's oxygen that's feeding the thought that you need oxygen. Now, it's not, again, it's not an easy way to live because you have to be very open to these things. Not many people, not, we're not always open to this. But this is true in everything. 
through every stress that you're experiencing, all anxiety, all suffering. Pain is a reality, suffering is a choice. Pain is a reality, suffering is our interpretation of it. That's a whole different experience. It's our experience of it. The experience of something, you have to ask, what is feeding it? There's information that is being fed that's ultimately creating this type of experience. You typhus what I'm saying, everybody, or not? Huh? Everybody's typhus here? Really? Okay. So now we have to, now if you go deeper and deeper and deeper, the first thoughts, the first thoughts that gave rise to it, yeah, is ultimately the divine thought. Everything ultimately is getting its chiyas from Hashem, everything. So that means, that means that everything ultimately has a divine core, everything. Now that could look very different than what it looks here, but if you could trace it back, there's something divine that's feeding it. <coughs> ultimately something divine that's feeding it. That doesn't mean I have to embrace it as is, but it means I could let it be as long as I don't fall prey to what it appears. Because if I could take it back to its Shodesh, I could be Megala, that what looks like Ra, really has a core that's Toif. Doesn't mean it doesn't come down as Ra. Huh? Back to the Zayna with the Ben Melech. But for this you have to take it all the way back to the Shodesh. And say, this is ultimately getting Chiyos from Hashem. That means there's a divine energy, a divine perspective. For this you need a big fire. And the more, the more you have these experiences, the bigger the fire, the deeper the fire, in order to be able to take the silver and refine it and bring it back to his Chodesh. So he says that's why in Jewish history, tefillah goes through an evolution. By Yisrishan has one type of tefillah. Moshe Rabbeinu also davens. He davens for Miriam. Kel Narefan Allah. Boom. Gedavin. By Yisrishan there's no davening. By Yisheni, there's davening, but much less. And afterwards, there's more davening, and in each day. So we are used to more text. He's saying it's not about more text. It's about more fire. So why don't we refine the davening? Huh? Why don't we redo the davening according to our standards today? We never leave that more? Because no, short, short and good. Yeah. Short and fire. That, davening is really a moment of very deep fire, deep Islavos. What is it? It's a person realigning themselves with their true selves. It's a person going into themselves, into their guf, identifying the shayrish of every nekuda. And when they identify the shayrish in each nekuda, then there's complete vacus. Then the neshama and the guf are not enemies anymore. And most, and most of Ashmon Esrei is centered around our gufly struggle. Yes. Yeah. Connection to you based Thomas. What, what, what are you? Uh, what are you? What are you asking? I'm saying 
hoping an opportunity. Okay, one session. Everybody knows what Yud based Tammuz is? Today is Yud based Tammuz. Yud based Tammuz is the Chag HaGaula of the Rebbe Rayatz. It was the sixth, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson. It's an incredible story. Russian Jewry had most Jews in it, five or six million Jews in Russia. Uh, Jews in Russia suffered terribly. But what they suffered under the Tsar was nothing close to what happened when the communists took over. In 1917, a hundred years ago, was the Bolshevik Revolution. A few years later, the Red Army took over. You had Lenin, Trotsky, Stalin. A whole new era descended on Russia. It became a living hell. 1924, Lenin died and Stalin took over. Trotsky was Jewish. Stalin was a Georgian mass murderer. He killed 50 million people in the next 30 years. From 24 till his death, Purim, 1953. Most Jews, from Jews, either they ran from Russia, people like the Chafetz Chaim, uh, Rosh Hashivas, Revis, Moshe Feinstein. It was impossible. There's, there's nothing you could do. They closed everything. One man remained there and became literally the captain of Russian jury, and that was the sixth Lubavitcher he founded 600 underground yeshivas. 600 underground yeshivas. And uh, all the money of the joint came to him. Because he was like the sole rabbi who represented everything. And he would distribute to everybody. At the Navardika yeshivas, a few Litvisha yeshivas, there remained Zidusha, Chabad, etc. Seven million dollars went through him. And he ran the whole place. It was all underground. It was an underground network. This is the 1920s. Finally, they arrested him. They sentenced him to death to be shot. And then they converted it to 10 years in exile. And he was sent out of prison, Gimel Tammuz, to go to exile, 1927. Ten days later, Yud Beis Tammuz, Yud Gimel Tammuz, they freed him. For a Russian jury at that time, this was a watershed moment that he could come out alive from the lion's den. And... Uh, the underground network of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of 1927 remained intact till the fall of communism. Under his leadership and then the Rebbe's leadership. And then they went back and uh, they rebuilt the Khmer. What happened in Russia after that is, is another miracle. So it was a huge yomtev at the time. And it's still celebrated. This is Yudbez Yud Gimel Thomas. It happens to be this year is 90 years, right? It was a big mess what happened then. And... Uh, it was, a, it was a, a special moment. I'll just tell you one word that connects to this. <coughs> when he was taken to prison, it was Tasvav Sivan Tafrish Pezai, 1927. You remember, they shot everybody. Stalin killed everybody. Millions and millions of people. So the, he writes this in a diary of his. He was being investigated. So one of the investigators... They would keep you up nights and torture. They tortured him also, like on Samaisa. He asked him, at some point, he says, do you know where you are? Because he was, uh, he wrote that when he came to prison, he decided that he's not going to surrender his dignity. So he remained very strong. They asked him, do you know where you are? So he said, I know where I am. I'm in a place that's potter from a mezuzah, 
just like a besakise and a shtal, a, uh, a bathroom and a, an animal stable, I'm in a place that's potter from a mezuzah. That's what he answered. These were all Jews who went to Cheder. They were bitter, bitter communists. Bitter communists. That's what he said. A place that's potter from a mezuzah. So the Rebbe once asked, why did he have to say that? He could have just said, I know where I am, I'm in prison. So he's going to start teaching them Hilchus Mezuzah, that a prison is part of a Mezuzah. So he said he wanted to say something to them. He wanted to say, I'm still in God's world. Don't think that this is not God's world. Halacha applies here also. This is a place that's part of a Mezuzah. That's also a din in Shulchan Aruch. Every place has dinim of Shulchan Aruch. This is a place that's Chayiv and Mezuzah. Here there's also Halacha. The Halacha is that it's part of Mezuzah, but it's a Halacha. There's a din that's Chal on this place. If there's a din that's Chal on this place, it means it's also under the jurisdiction of Hashem. Or Besigna Nacher, on a more spiritual level, he wanted the Shmirah of a Mezuzah by explaining the dinim of Mezuzah here. It's a din in Mezuzah that here there's no Mezuzah to get that little bit of that Shmirah. The person took out the gun, a gun, and he said, if you don't answer questions, this little toy has made many, many people talk. It will make you talk also. And he pointed a gun to him. So he said that this toy could only make certain people talk. And that is people who have one world and many gods. But since I have one god and many worlds, so therefore... This toy won't make me talk. That's what he said. Akalpam said this was the day of his liberation. Tonight there'll be a Fabreng in here. What time? Nine o'clock. In Shul. I don't think in the tent. I think in Shul. One of the tents. Okay, have a wonderful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.